The following is audio from The Refuge Church. Every sermon is an invitation to understand, obey, and enjoy God. More information about The Refuge Church is available at therefugechurch.us. Okay, good morning, Refuge Church. Good morning, good morning. If you can hear from my voice, I... uh, I don't know how long it will last, so <clears throat> Bob might have to keep punching up the sound throughout our time. <clears throat> We've got a couple of fun announcements at the start. The first announcement is that we have beautiful Advent books. Jake has some in the back. It starts November 27th, which is next week, so uh, if you are going to forget next week or not be here next week or just want to have it and start working it in like that baseball mitt, you know? Then grab one this week. Beautiful illustrations. Um, Very excited to start. Next week is the beginning of our Advent series also. Christmas is on its way, not to overlook Thanksgiving. So next week, we are done with Faith in Troubling Times, the sermon series. We're done with Troubling Times. And (laughs) we're... We're starting our sermon series called Reason for the Season. And it's going to be looking at the different stories uh, in, in that, uh, the Christmas story and the reason that God gives for the coming of Jesus. It's very interesting. It's not this stock delivery that the angel gives every time. It's different. It's unique. He speaks to each individual and he tells them about Jesus, but he also kind of meets them where they're at. It's very beautiful. And so we're going to be looking at that Leading up to Christmas, I'm going to steal some of Jake's announcement and let you know already that it's going to be a little different fun this year for Christmas. Christmas is a Sunday. Very cool. We're not meeting on Christmas Sunday. We're going to just do a Christmas Eve gathering together the night before. So Saturday night, we'll do a a great Christmas Eve time together and then uh, uh, allow you to, to sleep in, open stockings, Tell your kids the Christmas story that, that uh, Christmas morning. I, I don't know I'm saying allow you, not like I have permission to allow you to do that or not. But. <laughs> feel free to. And then the second announcement, I feel, I feel like this delivery is only appropriate. It's my great privilege to introduce to you for not the first time, but maybe one of the first people, uh, Sean and Marika Chirico. They got married. <laughs> so, <laughs> this is... Trust me, this was a surprise to me too today. Uh, I'm assuming that uh, Marika's parents know uh, before. <laughs> so, uh, you guys want to just stand up? And I mean, I feel like we just got to celebrate you. It's very exciting. Yeah. And I, I mean, Marika just sprung this on me. What, what was the day? Thursday, okay, yeah, because because Craig and Hannah, who are here, they just got married too, so we're just, did anyone else get married that we don't know about? Just, <laughs> okay, awesome, we love you guys, yeah, it's super exciting. Um, I'm sure they're still receiving wedding gifts, so <laughs> uh, actually, if you guys have a registry, let us know, we'll, we'll, we'll post it, seriously, that'd be great. Um, okay. Um, for your tithe this week, give them a wedding gift. <laughs> okay, awesome. Well, let me pray. We're not going to do a prayer of confession. I feel like that news is too good to just like roll into a prayer of confession. So we're just going to do a prayer of 
blessing on their marriage, and then we'll jump into the sermon today. God, we thank you for uh, your plan um, that we see come to life in Sean and Marika and the commitment they've made to one another. It's such a joy like I got to do with Hannah and Craig to, to talk about the mystery we get to see in marriage that is your commitment to us, your love for us. God, I do, do pray that you will bless the marriage of Sean and Marika. And, um, God, this next year will be um, just full of, of growth and the blessing of what it means to commit fully, 100%, be in and be committed to. I pray they'll experience that. God, we get to experience that because that's the commitment you've made to us. God, help us as a church, support them, love them. Uh, we pray your blessing on them. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> okay. For the very last time, your introduction to the sermon series, Faith in Troubling Times. <clears throat> Are you troubled by what you see happening in the world? In this sermon series, we'll read Peter's letter to the church Churches who are also living in troubling times. In his letter, we read words like grief, suffering, anxiety. Peter is writing to people who are struggling to live by faith in a world that seems to be falling apart. Listen and discover how Jesus is a living hope for those living in troubling times. I think I say this every time, but this just feels like such an appropriate sermon series. I mean, this is troubling, troubling times. <clears throat> the question I have for you today to start with is, how are you at waiting? How are you at waiting? Yeah, who's good at that, right? I mean, it's almost rhetorical. Waiting feels like punishment. And we actually kind of use it that way at home. So Elliot doesn't respond to really any other form of correction than time out. He will do just about anything to not get put in time out. Time out, what is it? It's simply a place of waiting. What we do to prepare him for time out is explain exactly that. This is the time, Elliot, this is the time that that we're putting you here to think about what's happened. And, you know, when, when you punch mommy in the face, we don't do that. Like, just think about that. And, you know, we usually put a time on it. Like, you're just going to be here for, like, 20 seconds. You know? Um, and we're going to be back. But in his mind, you know, he's going crazy because he doesn't want to wait. He's left with his own toddler thoughts, which apparently are just terrible. Because he doesn't want to be there with them for 20 seconds. But that's waiting. I mean, in his heart, he's struggling with things, right? He's like, man, they left. Are they coming back? This isn't what we want them to understand. We want this to be a growing time. And we explain that. It's a growing time. And he's learning in that. He's growing in that. The purpose is growth. The purpose of the waiting is growth. And waiting is a huge theme in the Bible. <laughs> if you read the Bible, it is full of God making promises and inviting people to to wait for those promises to be fully revealed. If you, if you just do a quick summary of the Bible, I picked out some of the big verses talking about waiting. And Psalm 27, 14 says, Wait for the Lord, 
Be strong, take heart, and wait for the Lord. You hear the growth you're invited into in that? Wait for the Lord. See your heart get stronger as you wait for the Lord. Isaiah 30, 18, the Lord longs to be gracious to you. Therefore, he will rise up to show you compassion for the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all those who wait for him. What are we gonna see when we wait? We're gonna see this blessing that we understand the longing heart of God to be gracious to us. Man, we may not fully see the, the fullness of that right away, but in that waiting, we are growing. Acts 1.4, Jesus gave this command to his disciples, don't leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift the Father's promised you, which you've heard me speak about. Jesus spoke about the gift that was going to be, that he had promised it was going to come. He, he spoke about it over and over again. Why didn't he just give it the first time he spoke about it? Because he wanted a waiting time. What's happening in that waiting? Well, we're learning to trust. We're learning to obey. Wait in Jerusalem until this, this undefined time when, when finally the gift will come. Roman 8.23, and this is the one I think that you and I probably relate with the most. We groan inwardly as we wait for our adoption as sons and daughters, the redemption of our bodies, for in this hope we are saved. We groan inwardly as we wait. <laughs> that is this faith in troubling times. We are waiting. We've heard the promises of God. We've seen so many fulfilled, but there are many yet to be fulfilled. And for those, we groan in the waiting. Waiting is what? Waiting is a time for us to grow. To grow in what? To grow in our trust that what God has said he will do and to obey what he's commanded in the waiting time. Let me say that again. To trust what he said is true, it will come to pass, but also to obey the things he has commanded for us to do. <laughs> that is what time out is. <laughs> I've never really thought about it this way, but it really does feel like sometimes we're just in the time out until the full renewal, like until the restoring of all things. We're just waiting, right? And that's what literally, man, when I put Elliot in time out, I say, I'm Elliot, I am coming. I promise you I'm coming back. You're not going to be here forever. <laughs> Even though he feels like that, right? And when we come back, honestly, it's this joyous thing. And, and I, I can see it in his little mind. His little mind's working. What I said was true. There's growth that happens in the waiting. How are you doing at waiting? Well, our big question of today is, <clears throat> what are we waiting for? And... Is that reason, is the reason for our waiting enough for us to resist temptation and endure all the suffering that we're experiencing? That's a good question, huh? Is the reason that we hold to in our waiting a good enough reason for us to endure all the temptation and to endure the suffering that we're experiencing? because we do experience suffering now. And the big idea is simply this. Our faith in these troubling times is built on the hope of God revealing his eternal glory, that God will reveal himself in his eternal glory, and he will restore us fully to himself. We'll be fully restored, us who are in this waiting. Just like when I 
come back after Elliot's timeout, and that relationship is so beautifully restored, right? But to a greater extent between us and God <laughs> in the coming of the ages. So, this is what we stake our hope in in these troubling times. <clears throat> if you have your Bibles, we are in 1 Peter 5, and I want you to see the final promise, the final words that Peter gives to these people uh, around this province of Turkey, Turkey that we know today, and, and his kind of summary of what he's taught them over and over and over again, and he just wraps it up saying, man, if you got anything, I want you to get this. And it is that we have an eternal hope. We have a living hope now, but we have an eternal hope that will be fully revealed. <clears throat> the interesting thing he does in this last chapter is he's already covered what you think of as like civic relationships or family relationships. He did that in chapter three, but here he, he narrows in on the family of God. He's told us how to kind of interact with um, our, our community at home and our community at large in the world. And then he goes, man, but there's another relationship I want you to consider, and that is the relationship that you see happening in God's family, which he introduced right there, chapter one, verse one, where he says, God's elect who are scattered throughout the world. He said, you are, you are a group of people that is unique. You're special. You're God's special possession. And now I want to talk about the relationships within that special group of people. And he makes three appeals to that group of people. He says, the first, I'm going to appeal to the elders. And we're going to see it can kind of be like, it can kind of be for just those who are old. Literally, he's saying old people. I'm sorry. Uh, we can say those mature in years, but literally the word here is old. So we're just going to use that. Um, <clears throat> embrace it. It's a beautiful thing. The second is young people, and that also is hard for others. Like, young, I'm not young, right? No, you are, and there's a word for you <laughs> if you're young. And then he says, now, all the people in the family of God interact in this way. So first, his appeal to those people who are elders in the family of God. And this, was, is, this is what he says to them. This is how he appeals to them. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and witness of Christ's suffering, who also share in the glory to be revealed, colon. So he's going to get into the rest thing, but he bases his appeal on two experiences. And this is really cool. His two experiences are this. The first is, I base my appeal on the experience of Christ's suffering. I've witnessed Christ's suffering. So the first is the experience of what has happened. The second is an experience that has not yet happened, which is... We will share in the glory that will be revealed. He goes, so I'm appealing to you because we've seen Jesus suffer and I'm appealing to you because we will share in his glory together. And this is what I'm asking you to do. If you are a leader in the church and, and I think you also can say, man, if you are someone who's mature in years and you're here, you're mature in faith and you're here, be a shepherd of God's flock that is under your care. Watch over them, not because you must, but because you are willing as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being an example to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade. <clears throat> there are three character charges he gives to those who are 
elders. And, and I just want to give you proof here for what I'm talking. Most often, this word presbyteros, or however you pronounce it in the Greek, is referring to leaders of the church. But you do get like, when it says the older brother, or young men will dream, like young men will have visions, old men will dream dreams. That's, that's the same word being used. So if you are here and you're not a leader in the church, but you are mature in faith, I also want you to understand what's being said here and apply it to your life. Get that? Okay, so the first thing he's charging you with is don't do it because you must, but because you are willing. Don't do it because you have to, but because you want to. And I think this is really important for, man, in our culture, the desire to live into the time you are, right? If you've been a Christian for a long time, if you are a leader in the church, cultivate the desire of your heart to want to do the responsibility you've been given. Now, let me say that this is culturally acceptable to not do that because of the word we hear oftentimes, which is adulting, right? I hate it. Hannah knows I hate it. It's like nails on a chalkboard when you see people wear adulting shirts or adulting, they have adulting cups or you are an adult, act like an adult, right? Amen, right? I get it. Responsibility is hard. But if you, if you are an adult, if you are in a mature position in your life, if you have responsibility, cultivate your heart to desire that because that's the way you'll be a blessing to other people. Now, if we're doing it simply out of obligation, because you must, that is going to leak out onto those we have responsibility for. They're not going to feel blessed by our leadership. If my kids see it as me begrudgingly feeding them each morning, they're not going to wake up with. They're not going to wake up or live with an affection for me because they see it as this heavy responsibility I'm carrying. I want to cultivate my heart. For you as the church of Jesus Christ that I've been given a responsibility for, that hopefully you see this is my joy to lay down my life for you, right? As I've seen Jesus lay down his life for the church. If you're mature in faith, see the responsibility to pass on your faith to those who are younger as a responsibility that you are cherishing, you're wanting, not something that you're just doing out of obligation. Amen? If you're an adult here, you're not adulting. You are an adult. Be an adult, right? <laughs> okay. There's so much more I can say about that. The second thing is not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve. If you're somebody who is mature in faith, you have been given leadership over other people. If you're an adult, Don't use your position of authority to take from people, but use it as a a position to give to people, right? Are you thinking, man, how can I, how can I, all these people, like, man, there's what, like 70 people here? If I'm thinking, man, what can all of you give to me? That does massive harm to the church. But, But if I prepare the message, right, if I prepare hopefully what God's given me today, that I'm thinking, man, how can, how can I lay out the word that you guys are leaving refreshed and restored and giving a fresh vision of God, not making much of me, but making much of Jesus? That's exciting, right? But there are so many who seek a position of power, seek a position of authority for dishonest gain, to make much of themselves, not make 
the people that are leading into the people of God. Only follow people who are seeking your maturity in Christ, seeking to see you grow in Christ. We'll lay down their lives for you, for you to do that. The third thing is not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being an example to the flock. So, rather than being domineering and holding the power you have, you can hear this in leaders often that demand loyalty, parents that just say, just obey me. Rather than being someone who leads with character, hopefully you're someone who is a servant leader, who is leading by example, so people go, man, that's what I want to be like when I grow up. Man, as I mature in faith, I hope I'm, I'm maturing to be the kind of person I see those leaders being or those parents being or those adults in the faith being. I want to be like them. Are you that kind of person? As you're growing in faith, those people who are a little younger in faith are looking at you and going, man, I want to be like them when I grow up. That's really, really healthy for the church. And what Peter says about this is that this is not immediately rewarding. Being an adult, being a parent, being a leader in the church is not immediately rewarding. (laughs) I'm so thankful Peter doesn't go like, and guess what, it's great. He actually says this. He says, and when the chief shepherd appears, he goes, so you also have someone you're looking to if you're mature in faith, you're a leader in the church. It's the chief shepherd Jesus. When he appears, you will receive a crown of glory that will never fade away. He goes, your experience now, and guys, this is so, and I get this so much, not from leading refuge for 15 years, but for being a parent for two, is that it is not immediately rewarding, right? <laughs> not at all. It is hard. But I'm not doing it for myself. I am not doing this for me. I have not led the refuge for 15 years because it has given anything to me. Likewise, I'm not parenting because it's giving anything to me. I'm parenting because I have hope. I'm pastoring because I have hope. And my hope doesn't rely on the church giving something to me or my kids giving something to me. My hope relies on what God gives to me. And there's an eternal reward, not a... (laughs) Notice it does not say participation ribbon. There is an actual reward held out for you. And it is something, you know when you have somebody who like, like you hold in such great esteem and honor and they give you a word of, of affirmation or they give something to you that is so meaningful and it just makes your day. It makes your life. This is what it's going to be when we go to heaven, when we receive, when we step into that eternal glory and we receive the crown of glory it's all going to be good. Like All things will be made up for. We will say, we will look back and we'll say, all the times I laid down my life was worth it. When Jesus does give us the crown of glory. But it is something we, we hope in. It is not something we necessarily experience now. And that's why we chafe against it. That's why we are resistant. That's why we have words like adulting because we want the reward now you aren't going to experience that. But you're stepping into a time where if you are a leader in the church, if you are spiritually mature, you can be, inc- you can be the greatest blessing. You can be incredibly, just a gift to those who are 
not yet mature in faith are those who are young. I love it how he's narrowing in on this at the end of the chapter. He goes, we have this living hope, we have this eternal hope, and guess what? This is how we live it out within the family of God. And then he turns his attention and makes an appeal to those who are young. And I think he can, you can say young in age or young in faith. And it is, it is just, I think reading this correctly, it really is just one verse that he gives to them. And it is this. In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. That's all you get. <laughs> if you are following leadership, if you are a child and you have a parent... If you are young in faith and you see those who are mature in faith, submit to them, which literally means put yourself under them. Now, he's already addressed what godly leadership looks like, what godly leadership in the church and what spiritual maturity looks like. So if you have that, if you have someone who their reward is in heaven, not in what you can give to them, someone who is laying down their life for you and showing you Jesus, put yourself under that person. This is a great charge, and it is a gift. There are things, I've said this to the church before, but this is so good. There are things we do not have to learn by experience. Say that to yourself. There are things we do not have to learn by experience. Praise Jesus. There are things we don't have to learn by experience. Elliot does not have to learn that he will get burned by the wood stove by experience, if he submitted himself to me. That is a good thing, submitting yourself to someone who is a godly leader and a godly example, mature in their faith, is good because they will teach you things you don't have to learn the hard way. They will teach you things they have learned growing up from being young in faith to old in faith. Guys, it is a beauty. If you are young in faith and you see somebody older in faith, you just put yourself into them and you just go, teach me. It, it is a corrupt thinking. It's, it's corrupt, bad thinking in our world that everything you need to experience first. You don't have to. If there's somebody who lives well, loves Jesus, is mature, adults well, learn from them and then do what they say. There are things I can remember. My father, grandfather, saying that I wish I had just done. And I did not have to learn through hurtful experience. You get one verse here, if you're young in faith. One verse, and that is simply learn by listening, not by experience. that make sense? Guys, trust and obey. That is it. Trust and obey. I love this... um, this old hymn or this old song, right? Trust and obey. There's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. That is, that is not modern thinking. Modern thinking is test everything over and over again. Don't trust anything. Don't obey anybody. Cut your own path. Break things. <laughs> that sucks. That's a bad way to live. That will hurt you. That will hurt your kids. 
Be the kind of person that is worth following. And teach your kids if you have them or your friends who are young in faith or whatever. Like, show them that you're worth following if you're mature in faith. And you go, man, let me, let me give you some lessons I've learned because I don't want you experiencing that yourself. Then the third appeal he makes is this. It's an appeal to all people. And it starts uh, right there at the end of verse 5. It says, all of you clothe yourselves with humility towards one another because God opposes the proud, but he shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be alert and sober-minded. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion for someone to devour. Resist him. Stand firm in faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of suffering. So, we saw what really is unique to leaders. We saw what's unique to those who are young, young in the faith, young in age. And then he gives an appeal to those, everybody who's a part of the family of faith. And the first thing is to just to be humble. It's kind of like this overarching, man, if you're a part of the family of God, there's one thing everybody should know you by, right? Which is your humility. And that is defined so well in Philippians 2, which is to value others more than yourself. Another translation says, consider others as better than yourself. That's the way the Bible defines humility, to value, put, put other people in front of you. That is what it asks of the family of God, being known by that. Man, in a world like Rome, in a world like the United States as it is right now, which is just tries to do everything by grabbing power, right? Showing yourself off, making your own brand, To be humble sticks out profoundly. And what we learn about this humble lifestyle is this. Three things. The first is this. That if you are not humble, if you are proud, God will oppose you. You will find yourself in opposition to God if you're a proud person. Because God, what? God opposes the proud and he gives grace to the humble. That's a pretty powerful statement. If you, if you are a Christian, if you are a follower of Jesus, but you are proud, still God will oppose that in your life. You will find yourself not in his favor because you are doing things for yourself, which is the opposite of what Jesus did, who being in very nature God, this is again Philippians 2, did not try to grasp at that or show that off, but he made himself nothing, elevating us and rescuing us. That is what we also should do. That is the way of Jesus, to to show other people their value, even if it's not showing ourselves off. The second thing he says to do is this, honor God right where you are. And it says this in verse six, humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Honor God right where you are right now. You might not have the position you want at work People might not notice you like you would want them to. You might be dissatisfied with where your life is right now. But the word to you is humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, trusting that God is mighty, he is sovereign over all things, and that in due time, he will lift you up. Guys, it is so much better to be given a gift by God of a position than try to grab that for yourself. 
It will exhaust you. It will corrupt you. It will do all those things to you. But if you honor God where you're at right now, when you are given that position, when you're placed in a position of leadership, it will be a blessing to yourself and to other people. Wait for it and honor God where you're at. And wait for someone to go, man, I've loved watching the way you live. I've loved seeing you. It's so cool. Can you do this? Can you... Man, can you lead our Bible study? Or man, we'd love to have you at this place at work because you're just honoring God where you're at right now. You're not grasping for that next thing, which is so dissatisfying. Honor God where you're at right now. And in due time, God who is mighty will lift you up. And then cast your cares on God. Give your cares to him, it says. Because the cares of life are too much for you. Verse seven, cast all your anxieties on God because he cares for you. Why can you give all your anxieties to God because they matter so much to you? No, because they matter so much to God. (laughs) When you're speaking your heart to God, God's grabbing, he's like, man, I love it. I love that you're sharing with me because he cares for you so much. Next he tells us this, be alert and sober-minded. Resist the devil. Guys, when it says to be alert and be sober-minded, he's simply saying this, just don't be passive. (laughs) That's why so many of us shirk a responsibility. We don't want responsibility. We We try to let go of it. But then when we want leadership, we seek it through power is because we're living passively. Rather than actively trying to honor God in all our actions, and that means even in your rest, Right? In your rest, honor God. Honestly, guys, taking naps, getting to bed on time, that really honors God. <laughs> it does. Amen. Right? Praise God. Like, like being a well-rested person honors God well. What he's saying in being alert and sober-minded is that don't be passive and don't always try to seek the next high. Man, if, if, if you are wasting your time and you're just trying to then like find a great experience, what you're going to find is terrible. (laughs) If you're honoring God with your life, with your actions, your path is directed towards him, as you are alert and sober-minded, what he brings you will be glorious. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Resist the devil knowing, and and guys, this this is such a great tool in resisting the devil, as he says, remembering that there are, there's a family of God around the world that is doing this very thing right? When you're like, man, should I do this or not do this? I know this is wrong. Should I do this? Think in that moment of your family, the family got sons and daughters waiting for their adoption, that is making that choice around the world, in China, in Indonesia, in Chile, in Paul's bow, the family of God around the world that is also resisting the devil. Now, these are the three appeals Peter's making to the church. And I want you to imagine this. This is so special. I want you to imagine that as this is getting read, it is getting read over and over again. There are families coming from their homes to one location to hear this letter being read over and over again, so much so that they're memorizing these words. That's what happened in Pontius and Galatia and Bithynia and the other towns, I don't remember right now, Cappadocia probably, right? 
They're getting, they're getting over and over again read and they're committing these to heart and that's what we're doing here so we can be encouraged in these troubling times. So what I want you to do, you've heard these sermons, you've probably written some notes, you have your Bible, which is a treasure, that you don't have to just come listen to me read it aloud over and over again, but you get to go back to it. That Peter gave this for us to commit to heart, knowing that if we did, if we committed this letter to heart and understood it, and then lived in it, that we would have bold faith in troubling times. Whether it was those, it was those living under the crazy Emperor Nero, or whoever is currently in power here, right, or around the world, that we can have faith in these troubling times. That our faith will not be based upon fuzzy feelings, wishes and dreams, but the rock-solid hope that we have. Rock-solid because Jesus rose from the dead. We know that happened. He is alive. He is well. That was a promise God made and fulfilled. And so God will also fulfill his promise to us to bring us into his eternal glory. And the reward of that might not be something that you feel right now as you're carrying out your responsibility to the church of God and your neighbor. But man, we're holding to that hope. And that's the way he ends here. And the God of all grace who called you into his eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered for a little while will restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. Guys, I know I'm asking you to do things that when you walk out the door, it won't be immediately rewarding, but I'm asking you to do things. If you, if you commit to this together, we have this incredible, unshakable hope that God in his grace has called us into an eternal glory in Christ that we will suffer for a little while. The Bible doesn't, doesn't beat around the bush there. You will suffer. It will be hard in your responsibilities to your neighbor, to one another, to your kids and your families, but he is coming and he will restore you. He's going to make you strong, firm, and steadfast. And verse 11 is this just seal. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. So I appeal to you these things, leaders of the church, those who are mature in faith, <clears throat> those who are young, and to all of us. Hold on to that living hope. Commit yourself to doing these things, not expecting an immediate reward, but knowing the God who promised he would come, that he would give his own life for us, he did that. His word is true. You don't have to learn by experience alone, but you can hold to his promises. His promises are true. So know these words and live by them. Our faith in troubling times is built on the hope that God will reveal his eternal glory and he will restore us fully. I just want to speak that over you because I know you are weary you have a lot of responsibility. I know we live in troubling times. He will restore you fully. Amen. Pray with me. Oh God, I pray that we will hear your word and hold to it far more than we hear and hold to any other word. 
God, the troubling times we live in now um, aren't surprising if we read your word. And yet you give us a, a guiding light. You give us truth to live by in these troubling times. And I pray that we will hear it, we will understand it, and we will live by it. We really want that. We need your spirit to do that, to encourage us, to shape us, to give us courage. We praise in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Refuge, we want to invite you to respond in a couple ways. Uh, one is to be prayed for, if, you, if you'd like. Um, we have Ibrahim back there willing to pray for anyone who would like that. To respond by taking communion, which is remembering that our Savior Jesus gave his life. He did not remain dead. He is alive. And if you have put your faith in him, we invite you to take communion with us. And lastly, to worship him, which we do by singing.